Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 747 with a review of Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you. This week, we are talking about the latest film from Martin Scorsese. So, Stephen, what is your history with Scorsese's work? And kind of what is your uh, thoughts on him more generally before we get into this episode? Yeah, I would say I have a, I mean, in my youth, like my early 20s, I knew <laughs> Goodfellas and Taxi Driver and a few things. I was, like many people, I thought of Scorsese as the guy that makes mafia movies, right? That's kind of the, the general public opinion of him. And then over the last maybe five years, as I started trying to go back, doing a little bit more of my due diligence about movies, I've seen quite a few other Scorsese works from like the 70s and 80s especially and I learned that he's actually a super versatile director who I love I at least very much like probably every Scorsese movie that I've seen in the last few years um I think he's just like a not that came out in the last few years I mean like in my journey through watching his stuff yeah I think he's just a wildly talented director that knows how to he knows how to show off style, but he isn't like Tarantino where the style overwhelms everything else. He's very much like style plus letting great actors do great work. Um, and I, I just think he's awesome. I somewhat famously for listeners of the podcast who've been here for a long time, I was not a big fan of the Wolf of Wall Street. And I am pretty positive if I were to rewatch it now, I would love it. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> That that is the one caveat, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Scorsese. But I, it wasn't like I I didn't watch Goodfellas in the '90s or anything like that. It was all like post college, me going back and trying to learn about this extremely famous director. I think The Departed was probably the first movie of his I actually watched like contemporaneously, uh, and that movie I learned later it had the reputation as being one of his more like crowd-pleasing, middle-of-the-road type movies, but I I loved that part <laughs> when I saw it, and I still in my memory think it's just one of the most amazing like, epic spectacle type movies to watch. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of all sides of Marty. How about you? <laughs> well, you're on a first name, uh, nickname basis with him too. Oh yeah, me and Marty. <laughs> you go way back. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, like as you mentioned, you know, my, my original history with him is from gangster films. And I think that mm-hmm. it's basically gangster films and the years we've been doing the podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like his more modern stuff, I haven't done my due diligence and gone back. And it's one of those things where like everybody talks about him so much that I just take for granted his existence. And I'm like, oh, I don't need to go yeah. back and watch a bunch of stuff because everybody thinks it's the greatest. So, you know, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. But but I think I've been a little bit hit or miss. It's kind of like every every film that comes out everybody hypes it up i'm like oh I, i'm excited too and then sometimes i get let down a little bit just because i don't vibe with whatever it is that he's doing in that individual film but there are also a lot of things that he's done that i genuinely um do really really enjoy um so it's kind of like for me i, I get kind of swept up in the hype when there's a new scorsese film coming out but it's also a thing that like i i i don't think think of him other than when the new film is coming out right it's just a thing where it's like Mm. i just take for granted his existence and i'm like oh yeah the the guy everybody loves and with the eyebrows (laughs) yeah i mean he uh so i recently was reading easy riders raging bulls which is like a a book about 
from like 1967 to 1980 and kind of the golden age of Hollywood. And he is definitely one of the, he is not only a major figure of that, he is also arguably the only example of someone who successfully made it out and still continued to make these kind of like interesting edgy movies. Uh, Spielberg and Lucas are the people who made it out, but are seen as kind of like having gone the blockbuster way to uh, yeah. survive that era. And Scorsese was like the, the one who maintained his like, his run of movies through the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and continues to be seen as a person who, if he makes a movie, it will be like interesting and prickly and he does it his own way. Uh, so I think I appreciate the fact that he's been able to do it so long. But when you say you haven't done your due diligence, does that mean like like Taxi Driver? I have not seen Taxi Driver. Yeah. Okay. So that, <laughs> that's probably the biggest blind spot. I think Taxi Driver and Raging Bull are pretty like worth seeing if nothing else so you can respect the hell out of robert de niro and what he was in the 70s and early 80s um because yeah. all of them meet the fuckers and dirty grandpas in the world cannot undo how amazing robert de niro was <laughs> for so long um yeah i, I would I, definitely recommend that and then I, you can see like alice doesn't live here anymore these things that are like genres that have absolutely nothing to do with anything people think of scorsese as and yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's cool to see what he's able to do yeah, I haven't seen Taxi Driver and I haven't seen Gangs of New York. Uh, okay. which are, which yeah, are Gangs of New York ones, is cool, but, but uh, Gangs of New York is like lesser, I would say. I, I wouldn't say that's one that is in like the top 10 or anything like that. Yeah, but it is one that like in college, like all the people that I would like share DVDs with, you know, were all yeah. like they were all obsessed with it, right? Like that was that was one of those ones where like it just seemed to have hit enough of the cultural stuff that was going on at time that, that at the time that like I, I should have seen it but i just didn't yeah well i've been i have plenty of blind spots too like my due diligence has mostly been going through decades so like i hit a bunch of his movies when i was doing the 70s for instance um gotcha but i have not gone back and watched silence for instance uh, or the aviator like or uh, here's the thing you wouldn't know because we've referenced it a million times in the podcast. I've never seen Shutter Island. Uh, so actually a lot Wait, of his did, a lot of his DiCaprio <laughs> collaborations I missed. <laughs> but it, it's not that I think you should have seen Shutter Island. I just know that just like Shutter Island was like a running yeah. gag on this podcast. And it makes your it feel story. Like... Yeah, your story about the guy who stood up and said, just like Shutter Island, <laughs> was the running gag. And I've even busted out, uh, we are duly appointed federal Martians when we were reviewing the Martian before. So, like, I know enough to make jokes. But, yeah, I haven't really, my rewatches have not gone up to the 2000s in Scorsese yet. And I think, yeah. I think when I'm done my next marathon of 50s movies, I think Scorsese, I want to try to be a completist. I want to just, like, go all the way through his catalog, blank check style, and see... Uh, see what i'm gonna find there's not anything missing in the 70s as far as i know but i'm sure there are plenty of things in the 80s and 90s like i mean i've seen like goodfellas and casino and a lot of the big ones but i, I i'm sure i have blind spots there awesome well uh steven i know that you saw this a long time ago you saw you saw this at can um mm -hmm. you've already maybe mentioned somewhere in the feeds somewhere that uh you may be a fan of this film, but are you excited to talk about it here and now and be able to actually have a real review um, with the listeners of this show? Oh, I am. And I should mention, I watched this movie again this weekend, too. So it's fresh, fresh in the brain. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to take a listen to the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon and then come back and give everybody a review. Whose land is this? My land. 
choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. <laughs> Why did you come here? I work for my uncle. You scared of him? Oh, he's, a, he's the nicest man in the world. The Osage, their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. We have so many deaths, we've lost count. It's just bad luck. Seems more like an epidemic than bad luck to me. Osage is dying by the enemy. Do not let them die alone. Evil surrounds my heart. Pick a side. I don't even know if you love me anymore. Of course I love you. And kill these men who killed my family. Did your wife say who she was most afraid of? Don't do something you're going to regret for the rest of your life. Got nothing but regret. All right, so that was the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon, reading the description from IMDb. When oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Seems like an interesting way. <laughs> It's <laughs> a lot of information given for that uh, description, but uh, I'm going with it. Stephen Miller, mm -hmm. what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, so when I first saw this, so I was at the premiere at Cannes, which I, I say that not only to humble brag, but just to say <laughs> that the when you're there, you're all seated. It's like by far the most sought after film of the festival. Leo and um, De Niro and Marty and uh, Lily Gladstone, like they're all walking down the red carpet. It takes forever because every paparazzi person wants to take a picture of them. They're like shaking hands. They're signing autographs. I think it started like an hour late because of how long it took them to make it down the red carpet. But while they're walking that like Robbie Robertson score, the kind of like pulsing thing that flows throughout most of this movie is playing and you're just getting amped and amped and amped and amped <laughs> waiting for this movie. Um, and I, I loved it when I saw it at Cannes. I thought it delivered so well. You're in the room afterwards. The ovation was like super long and the whole cast is there, including a ton of the uh, indigenous people who worked on the movie too. There was like a whole row of them that were kind of cheering and you could tell this was a big communal experience making this movie for the whole cast and crew and it just felt like 
amazing. And my feeling was he made a movie that is epic. It is entertaining. It is very long, but at least for me, it kept my attention the whole way through. Like it never felt like a dull moment. Um, And he managed to do that while also having a real darkness and having something to say about like the history of America. I thought he widened his lens a bit more than usual. Like he wasn't only focusing on white dudes being terrible. He was also focusing on the non-white people they were being terrible to. And he was kind of having a social message to wrap with it. And I overall, I felt like this movie was the whole package. It was just an amazing, amazing film. Um, I still very much liked it on rewatch. I will say it lost its luster just a little bit for me on the second viewing. I think some movies, when you know exactly where they're going, they get even better the second time because you can just look at all the amazing decisions they made and you can think, God, everything fits together like a puzzle. This is perfect. Um, Zone of Interest feels that way for me. Perfect Days feels that way for me. Past Lives feels that way for me. This movie, watching it again, I thought, God damn, this is a really good movie. But I do find myself wanting more of some things and less of some things. Like I felt a little bit more of the of the length this time around and it felt just a little bit more shaggy and a little bit less incredible. But that that's me grading it on a curve against like the most amazing high I've I've ever had <laughs> leaving a movie. Like I still think this movie is fucking great. Um I think the cast are just all around incredible. Uh Leonardo DiCaprio it's hard to say because he's given many great performances, but I think you could argue that this is the best one he's ever given. At least for me, he just, he, he plays this character who is evil in a very banal, dumb kind of way. Like he genuinely cares. He genuinely has pathos, but he's also willing to do bad things and just assume that this is how the world works. And I think he, he plays this so well, and he's a really, really good avatar for everything Scorsese's trying to experience, like explore in this movie. Um, it is sometimes it feels like it could be like a Coen Brothers anti-hero who is so dumb it can be comedic thing, but then he has this like intensity of emotion that just always pulls you back in. De Niro, I think, is amazing here in what he has to do and what is a supporting role, but like a very powerful supporting role, I think, of this. I don't know how much to spoil, but he he's a guy who has a lot of power and you kind of learn how he wields that power and what that power looks like for him. Um, and then I think my favorite performance in the movie is Lily Gladstone as Molly, uh, the wife of Leonardo DiCaprio's character, who is just, she is someone who is somewhat aware of all the bad things that are happening. Like she knows that she is as an Osage woman, she's someone who has access to a lot of money and that these white people are coming after her for the intent of somehow getting into her wealth. And she's kind of like accepted the fact that she is going to be used to an extent. And she, she toes this interesting line between caring and loving very deeply and also being used to a life where you are getting screwed over. And I think she just carries so much of the movie. Um, so the cast is amazing. The score, I loved even more watching it the second time. I just think it is one of the most like badass. I know you don't normally notice scores in movies, but I hope you at least felt the kind of like <laughs> pulsing rhythm yeah. as like the this movie, The Darkness, was building and building, especially over like the last couple hours. Um, I think that was <laughs> awesome. And it also, 
I know saying the last couple hours is, yeah, a, it, is a funny thing it, about the same movie. And to be fair, I'm not laughing because I thought it was too long of a film. Um, I'm just laughing because it's just a funny statement. To, like most films are only a few hours long. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the score is amazing. I think the filmmaking is very, very good. It, it's hard to make a movie that is so long feel gripping the whole time. And it worked for me the second time around. And anecdotally, my Alamo screening was like silent for the whole movie. So I'm pretty sure it worked for, for my crowd, too. And it has some tricks that maybe we'll get into in spoilers, some kind of interesting twists toward the end that recontextualize the movie that feels very different from the Scorsese epic that I thought I was going to get. So I still think this movie is the whole package. I think it is one of the best films of the year. I'll be shocked if it doesn't make it on my top 10. It's just, it's a smidge below my absolute love that I felt the first time around, but still a big fan. How about you? And and do you think, before I get into my stuff, do you, do you think that's a combination of the hype and being there in the moment or do you think it's specifically because of the way the narrative is being told on a second watch you're missing those beats of what's going to happen next what like it, it's there's not yeah. new stuff to drill down into that's going to excite you the second time as much as it did the first time or, or what do you think is that yeah, it's interesting because this is based on a work of nonfiction, and so many people who went into it knew what would happen in the story, though apparently the the book Killers of the Flower Moon is much more about the whole of the Osage killings. It isn't really following one character the way this does. Um, yeah. So, like, most... A, a lot of people went into this movie probably knowing roughly what would happen. Um, but I do think it there's something with the way the movie plays with tone and suspense that when you know what is going to come next you just lose a little bit in the process i'm sure the hype of can had something to do with it too but i don't know perfect days and zone of interest were also can movies and they worked even better for me on second viewing so i i think it's less about the hype and more the type of thing scorsese is doing here it is it's a artistic work but it isn't like a quote art film like i think it's playing on audience expectations in a way that just inherently doesn't work as well the second time around that that's my sense of it at least yeah you know it's interesting that you had a little tiny bit of a step down because for me walking out of this film what i wanted was i'm like all right well i'm gonna rewatch this when it hits apple tv plus because mm -hmm. there's sort of i want to rewatch it with a recontextualization right um mm -hmm. i think um like obviously you know whatever the imdb description <laughs> kind of lays out exactly what you're about to watch but i think the trailer at least the trailer that we just played watching here um sells maybe a little bit of one type of film and this is not not that it strays from my idea of what i was expecting but i think the the characters who this story is told through are kind of an interesting choice. And I know that that mm. I believe that the original book was told more from Jesse Plemons' character's point of view. And then yeah. this is sort of shifted a little bit to be about this 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 uh, romance in the middle of all this stuff that's going on and that reframing. There's something interesting about that that kind of I like if I if I'm honest, I am a little bit not conflicted. I'm still chewing over this film. I have mm -hmm. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the way it decided to tell the story. And I don't know if my complaints are also strengths. Like, like there are things where in my head, I'm like, hmm, that was an interesting choice. And I'm like, that might be exactly what he was trying to do. But in my head, mm -hmm. I have a little bit of not qualms, but I have like a little bit of problems with kind of the story. I, I, I found myself at times confused about 
what I'm supposed to believe about Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, mm-hmm. uh, character. Like, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about he's playing this sort of like dumb character that could almost be in a Coen Brothers film, um, but he has this other darkness behind him. I, I very much was watching this film and I was like, he feels like uh, he's being portrayed in what I kind of saw to be like as a simpleton. And yeah. I was never sure whether he fully understood the ramifications of what he is participating in. Um, and at times, that's way more clear than other times. But also, I didn't know whether I was watching a progression building or a person waiting to figure out what he's participating in. And that sort of tug of war, I don't know if it's an artistic choice where you're supposed to kind of root for him or or if it's a thing where you're supposed to be sympathetic for him or if it's a thing where you're supposed to hate the thing that is he participating in and there there were times where I was like okay well I know some of these characters are full on evil and I was like right. is he succumbing to the influence of evilness or is he also evil himself and it's and, you know it's interesting that like he was in war but he was really just a cook in war and he didn't see combat right. himself but it's like it would have been really easy to have him have been an actual soldier who is indiscriminately killing and then be put into the situation where he's participating in murder and like he sort of has that disassociation with the acts that he's doing. But this film doesn't want to do that. He wants to be kind of like a simple man with simple pleasures. And then yeah. his uncle sort of thrusts him into this life that he is now fully participating in, but maybe at the start didn't quite know what he was signing up for. And I think yeah, that there... But I mean, you do love that money, sir. <laughs> yeah, he do. Like, so there there was always something on the back of my head where I was kind of not really understanding it. And like, you know, the, you know, the, the killing of the Osage people is a real thing that actually happened. This film contextualizes it in a kind of like, obviously, the film starts with a bunch of referring to a bunch of deaths that take place. Yeah. Um, and then scales back and follows a bunch of deaths that focus around the Burkhardt family. And I I think that that choice was intentional yeah. but in the moment in real time bugged me a little bit because it's one of those things where it, like, it's sort of a hot fuzz situation where so <laughs> many people are in on this like it's like this character you know nobody in this film was saying the greats are good but they might as well have been it's kind of like this right. only makes sense if literally every single person in the town is in on it and i think that is the intention but very much yeah yeah, yeah like it, it, it's it's Scorsese's goal is to portray it that way. And it's almost like it's so many people involved in it that it's almost hard to buy. <laughs> and, and, and I, I struggled in real time watching the film, not, not believing it. Cause I know this is true, <laughs> but, but like the way it recontextualizes it should be, it, it was one of those things where like, Y'all see this is happening, right? You know, like it feels—it feels like, uh, you know, I, I've referenced this a few times, but it feels like in in like the the South Park episode about Scientology, where like it kept putting up at the bottom of the screen, "Can you believe this is actually what happened?" It feels like you could do that to this film, and it would fit, right? But because yeah. like it's so unbelievable that nobody's calling attention to the to the fact that like these murders are happening in this way, that like it it didn't like once again. It didn't stru- like <laughs> strain credulity because I know these uh, actually like these events overall were happening, but it was like the flippant nature of how nobody was trying to hide it. And it was just happening in the open constantly. And it's like, hey, um, we're just going to go behind this tree. Oh, my God, someone's dead. Like it, it felt 
almost absurdly comedic in a way that felt tonally weird to me. And it's like, I know that's the intention. And I think if mm-hmm. I watched it again, I would have no problem with it at all. But in the moment when I'm watching it, I'm not understanding Leo DiCaprio. I'm not like fully grasping who's participating in what. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be somebody who's not in on it. And how come people aren't calling attention? Like, you know, there, there aren't scenes when, you know, that later on there's meetings where people are like, hey, they're killing us. Somebody should go do something. But it's like, it's like, uh, you know, like the thing that you like to reference, the, uh, the, 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 ban- or the, the hot dog suit uh, thing right. from, <laughs> I think you should leave. Yeah, I think you should leave. <laughs> yeah, like at some point... <laughs> We've approached that level where like everybody's like, yeah, who's doing all these killings? And it, there was yeah. something about it that felt weird. And like the story is incredibly compelling. Um, but at some point, the presentation of it was was making me in conflict with with me, like wanting to just see it as as a thing that isn't absurd. Um, and, and like mm-hmm. I said, that's the point is how absurd this, this event actually was. Um, so yeah. I don't know I've been rambling, Steven say something and then I'll, I'll say another thing after that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it's interesting because the, the two points you hit on are how quote simple is, uh, the character of Ernest, Leo DiCaprio and how in on it is the whole town. And I guess I'll, I'll hit the second part first is the whole when you say the whole town do you mean all the white people in the town or are you including the osage people yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because because there is uh and it's it feels almost funny to dance around who the bad people are in this movie because i think the trailer already hints at it a lot but i am going to respect the idea like when i saw it i didn't even know what the movie was going to be about i can so i always want to respect the idea of someone going in blind um but i very much believe the fact it isn't as if everyone in the town is participating in murders. You know, there's a handful of people who do that. But to your point, everyone in the town is aware of what probably happened and are happy to benefit from it or not say anything about it or turn a blind eye if anyone asks. And I very much think that is the point of the movie. It's like, it, it's examining what does like white supremacist attitudes look like where you are engaging in something horrible and yet these people genuinely convince themselves with a few maybe exceptions that they are actually perfectly good decent people who are just getting what's theirs and they are like they're fine for this to exist because they have a narrative they've told themselves about why it is okay you know why these people were going to die soon anyway. It's just the way that it is. And we might as well get ours at the same time. And I think, I think this movie is very much about that. It's like, I was thinking a lot about zone of interest when I was watching this a second time, because this is also about like the banality of evil in a very different way. Like zone of interest is about the chilling, like what happens when people get so numb that they just don't care. They don't feel anything at all. Right. And you get the kind of horror of that. This is more about what are the stories people tell themselves that make cruelty just be this elephant in the room that you're not willing to look at or you don't you can't muster up enough care to actually do anything about it. And I I think one reason the movie is so long is because it takes that length to build the repetitive 
numbness of this. Like this shit keeps happening over and over again. Yeah. And everyone in some way is willing to prop it up or the, the answer is clearly out there. It's so obvious. And late in the movie, someone says, you know who we're talking about already. Like, yeah. like they basically spell it out to Jesse Plemons. Like, of course we know. Of course we know what this is. And I think that is what Scorsese is trying to do is like explore how that manifests in a society. And I, in that light, the choice of following Leonardo DiCaprio's character and making him a kind of enigma to the audience. Like to me, even on second viewing, it isn't always clear. We can get into it in spoilers, maybe. There are things that it is clear he is aware of. You know, I mean, he participates in things or he makes requests of people or like he knows something. There are a lot of things that are gray areas where you, in hindsight, can assume he must have known, but the movie plays it as if he might be oblivious. And I think it's intentional obliviousness is kind of the version of evil that this movie is playing with. That ability to just he mourns his wife's family. He loves her. He loves them. He has like sweet nothings that he wants to whisper in her ear. Like he has all of that. And then also he just has this other life on the side. And what does it take to be at peace with both of them? And I think like, I think the movie needs to be following someone that you, you don't root for him, but you don't, fear him the way that you would fear like the big bad of the movie um and i think it needs that in between to explore what it wants to explore which is the kind of slow loss of a moral compass um or the way that this system can benefit everyone but i will say because i mentioned that watching it a second time it felt less perfect to me and one of the imperfections is i think lily gladstone is amazing in like the first half of this movie and then there are things the movie does to kind of fridge her, which like make absolute sense with the narrative that they're telling. Yeah. But watching it again, I feel like you could have had more of her and what is she actually thinking inside during all of this. And the movie chooses not to go that route because it really wants to follow the <laughs> the Leo ambivalence all the way down. Um I think that is a choice. Like, it is very much what Scorsese wanted to do. But on second viewing, I found myself wanting a little bit more of the variety of perspective. Yeah. So I, I will say that. There, there's an aspect uh, to her character that I can't tell if it's Phantom Thread or Memento. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can talk yeah. about it a little bit more in spoilers. Um, I, I do want to say that, like, another another thing that is, I think, actively a strength but in a way hurt me is is i think that before i do a rewatch of this i want to do a little bit more research on this mm. time and what was going on because to this film's credit you learn about uh osage society and sort of the way the system is built up and how uh the some people have to have like like some white person to help them manage their money and stuff yeah, like that. The guardians. Like, yeah. Like you learn about the guardians organically over people just saying things out loud as part of the transaction of doing business. And I like that a lot, but while that's great for understanding what was happening at the time and what guardians are, what made it hard is when you start talking about um, 
the uh, the way things are passed to other family members through like whatever the equivalent of a will is for the Osage people, right? Like because yeah. there's an aspect of what's happening, why these murders are taking place that involves inheritance. And while I get like it's essentially conservatorship, right? White people mm-hmm. are are in charge of of everything that that these different like certain subset of the Osage people, um, their fortunes, how they're they're spent, and what's going on. They have to sort of dole it out in these like allowances and, and be present for every transaction that's being taken place. That's super compelling, but I don't understand enough about what the villains of the story are achieving with any individual murder that's taking place right Mm -hmm. and it's like if if i and then like as a a second thought i i really thought it was interesting robert de niro's character because he he has this obsession with the osage people like their history how you know like uh you know white people basically threw them on this shitty piece of land that wasn't worth anything and then it turned out there was oil underneath it and then they became this like rich wealthy sort of group of people um and he has this like, you know, this special book about their entire history and he's learned their language and he participates with them and different things that they do. And like, there's something really, really interesting about the fact that he has embedded himself with them. Obviously, he has, you know, ulterior, ulterior motives there, but there is sort of like, it seems like there is a respect there. Like he respects yep. what they did, how they built themselves up. But then he feels this selfish thing about like, well, now I want a piece of that. But it's like, it, it, it's it's seeing the respect he has, but also it's sort of like a know thy enemy sort of situation, not really a true respect. It's more of a like, man, they're fucking good what they did. Like, how do we let them get the upper hand? How can we take that upper hand from them? And it's like, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there, but I don't know enough about the mechanics of how society works to really know what he's doing, what his master mm-hmm. plan really is. And it's just kind of like, I I found it hard to follow. Like, obviously I understand the idea of will and how you can sign over yeah. something to somebody else, but I didn't really understand when like multiple people are trying to marry various sisters within one family, I don't understand how that fight for uh, ownership of that. Yeah, yeah, like like I, that that doesn't fully. I didn't didn't really understand how that worked, and it's kind of like I wish that I knew more of that because it would help me. Like I, I get the overall idea of like these white people are coming in trying to marry in these families so they can take their wealth, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite understand how they achieve it by murdering people you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i get it. and that i don't know if i thought through it the first time i watched it on second viewing that became very clear to me so that is one benefit of watching it again um i will say though because you talk about the respect that uh de niro's character uh king hale has for them i think that again plays into the version of evil that Scorsese is wrestling with here. Like just like Ernest loves his wife, adores her, adores her family, loves his kids and everything, but then is willing to take part in things that clearly harm them. Uh, I think the character of King Hale, I don't think it's only a cynical calculation that he learns the language that he speaks highly of them, that he has this book of customs, that he praises the Osage people as very intelligent. I think it is that kind of... No one else is going to compare these two movies, but we talked about Fair Play uh, last week. (laughs) And when we talked about Fair Play, 
I remember talking about this, um, the fact that no matter what the main character did, no matter how much power and superiority she had in every way over the man, the man would still find some way to exert control to yeah. wrestle it. And I feel like in this movie, a similar dynamic is happening where he will, no matter what, no matter how much they've achieved, no matter how much he, quote, likes them, respects them, values their culture, white men will still find a way to take and hurt and find a narrative that make them better and make the other person be dehumanized. Yeah. And I think, like, Basically, the benefit of this movie is also what makes it frustrating to unpack, which is that we don't know the interior mind of anyone. We just know the facade they put up and how much they believe the facade is kind of left to interpretation. Yeah. Um, and I think Scorsese would argue that they probably did buy the bullshit and that's why they're able to live and rest easy and have happy lives because they've just found a way to twist their brain into a pretzel that makes it okay for them to do clearly horrible things. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's what the movie is trying to do. I also definitely think the head right logic is a bit complicated though. If you watch again, every specific killing that happens, there's kind of a thing that precedes it that makes it clear why it was the next on the, on the list. Um, yeah, is it is yeah. it is it people walking off alone into a dark area? <laughs> I kid. <laughs> um, so so the I think the other thing too is because it was 1920. I don't. I also don't have like it feels like the entire town. There's like the town square where like all the shops are, and then there's like where people live, and it feels like without needing to get into legality you could just have somebody disappear <laughs> and like mm -hmm. you know it you know nobody would know that that person just wouldn't be around anymore right like i, I mean that's even yeah. worked into the plot where they try to get people to quote run away to avoid suspicion right where it's like somebody could just go away you don't have to shoot somebody in cold blood like you know what i mean like i mean you know th th they could just disappear for whatever reason right and, and it feels like yeah. i didn't quite understand uh like, it feels weird that, like, either it would be really easy to get away with it or everybody would be onto it, but they decide to do the everybody is onto it thing, but the way they get around it is by making everybody in on it, too. You know what I mean? Where it's mm -hmm. like, it's it seems like you could easily just have somebody go away if you wanted to, but they want everybody to know that the person died and it seems like everybody doing the killing is completely incompetent. And it's like, no mm -hmm. matter how incompetent the murderers are, nobody gives a shit and everybody denies yeah. the fact that something happened. And it's like, I get that's the point, but it's like something about it just like made me <laughs> like, I don't know, so, something, it, it was hard for me to wrestle with what the film was trying to do um, at, at times, but it, but it was still a compelling story the whole time through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that I found hard to verbalize the first time I watched it is the the themes of this movie are very dark and like clearly very sad and tragic. And this movie isn't like a laugh a minute riot. And it certainly isn't a movie where you are rooting for a protagonist or anything like that. But I still feel like somehow the movie is also very fun and engrossing. And I don't know exactly how to explain that. It, 
I think in my original, like I wrote a thing on Letterboxd like five minutes after leaving the premiere of the movie and I called it a crowd pleaser. And I was thinking about that ever <laughs> since of like, are people going to think I missed the very clear point of the film? But watching it again, I still, it has like an oomph to it that I, I don't know how to explain other than that it is a very like captivating movie that pulls the audience in and it it does not feel like you are eating your vegetables watching this movie it feels like you are getting quote entertainment and also having dark realities be shown to you and i i don't really know how he did it but yeah i don't i i was i've been wrestling with the word fun or crowd pleasing for like five months trying to figure out why that was my feeling about the movie but i still feel it now Yep. Um, so do you want to talk a little spoilers? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. So before we do that, let's go ahead and give folks our official reviews, um, our official verdicts for this film. Stephen Miller, if you're going to say must see, recommend with a caveat, wait for it, don't pass with a caveat or a must avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm giving it a must see, even though I this went down from nearly perfect to just very, very great. Uh, in my mind, I still think it is an amazing movie. And again, I'm sure it's going to make my end of the year list. So big fan. think everyone should watch it. And I think the three and a half hours fly by. I really think this movie earns its runtime and does not feel bloated or boring or anything that you might be worried about in that theater. Though I got to admit, I did pee in the middle of the movie this time. Oh, <laughs> but it's because I, I watched you, you it the, before. Yeah, yeah, you have the benefit I've of... I've seen it before. I could have <laughs> held it. I could have held it if I really, really needed to. But I knew what was going to happen. So I was like, I can duck out for yeah. 90 seconds. I don't need to watch this man struggle with a bone saw. I can go pee right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I will say too, before I, before I give, give my verdict, that uh, you know I was a little worried because I was seeing like a 7.45 uh, screening and I was like, ooh, this thing is going to be out around 11.30. I really hope that I'm fine with this. And and to be fair, I like I never was uh, I was never checking my watch at all during this film. The only time related thought that I did have is at one moment I was like, I feel like we've been watching this for a long time and Jesse Plemons hasn't shown up yet. When he shows up, there's going to be a whole other movie that's going to happen. And like I did have yeah. that thought in my head. And then he started showing up and I'm like, there's probably like an hour left. <laughs> And, like, I was more astonished at how much film we were watching, but I never thought, like, oh, man, I hope this is over. Um, it, it was mostly, like, a thing where I was just, like, astonished that, like, we had seen so much happen and Jesse Plemons wasn't there yet. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, one, what's funny is I remember, and maybe I had misinterpreted headlines at the time, but when this movie was first announced, the narrative that I heard was Jesse Plemons is the star of this movie and Leo DiCaprio is a supporting player. And maybe that's because people read the book and yeah, so yeah, they yeah. were thinking that it would take a different format than it did. But, and Plemons was like walked the red carpet. So I knew he was in the movie for sure. But after like an hour and a half or something, I was thinking, is he not in the movie? <laughs> did, did I misunderstand? <laughs> I, I had the same experience as you when he showed up of being like, wow, there is a whole movie left to go. Though I will say he is um very, very firmly a supporting player. I think yeah. the DiCaprio, De Niro, and Gladstone are clearly the big parts in this movie and everyone else is supporting like i would say far 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 less screen time than those three yeah and 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 i will say this too uh i would support a version of this film or a cut of this film i guess 
which is two two and a half hour segments. One is before mm. Jesse Plemons arrives, and the other one is when Jesse Plemons arrives. Um, not necessarily yeah. because I want more of Jesse Plemons, but I want more of the investigation and piecing together what has been happening, not mm. sort of just like him showing up and then we'll talk about what happens in spoilers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear you. But but to get us there, I will say my verdict. For me, it's recommended with a caveat. Um, I definitely... As I said, like the caveats come from the fact that I'm still kind of struggling with this film, just sort of like trying to recalibrate myself and try to figure out exactly how I felt about it without trying to think too much. <laughs> yeah. Like it, there's just a lot of stuff that that made me wonder, like choices of performances and stuff like that. Um, like all the performances are amazing, but like the idea to play a, a character a certain way makes my opinion of the character's involvement in the story more muddy and i'm still trying to deal with that um so for me mm. right now just a record with a caveat but when i watch it again in a few weeks when it actually hits apple tv plus maybe maybe my opinion of it will um raise after i've gotten through sort of uh struggling with those different thoughts but yeah, yeah. so that is it for the spoiler free segment of this episode we're gonna say goodbye to folks um and then get into spoilers here but for for now Stephen miller if people want to find you throughout the week where can they do that uh people can find me at every social network at s david miller uh, or s david miller.com <laughs> Uh, people can find me at com or a number of different social networks uh, Christopher IRL there as well including Mastodon.social and uh, yeah you can find the podcast over at SpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show if you want to subscribe to the show you can do so in Overcast YouTube Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found if you want to know when the episodes go live you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning or Instagram.com slash TheSpoilerWarning if you want to get a hold of us directly you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from a track selected from artlist.io, so hopefully you are enjoying that. That music is going to fade up and then uh, hang out for a little bit, <laughs> and then when that music fades out, uh, we're going to be talking full-blown spoilers for this film, so uh, watch out. From those who can afford to lose their necklaces and rings, I All right, we are back. This is Spoiler Territory. It's the after part of our review of Killers of the Flower Moon. We are talking full-blown spoilers. Um, Steven, where do you want to start? I mean, we can start at the ending, which is the thing that I think is a spoiler for everyone, including people who read the book, um, which is <laughs> the film ends with... It, it cuts to a radio play being done uh sponsored by lucky stripe where people are telling the story of the osage murders and they have goofy sound effects they have actors doing offensive accents um, playing playing <laughs> yeah. various characters it is a whole performance it is a performance by white people for white people and then it cuts to the narrator maybe the mc who is played by martin scorsese himself yeah um who describes what happened to all parties involved and what happened is bill hale was sentenced to life in prison but he was released like 10 years later and he lived out his days for decades and died of old age um ernest was also released and had a pretty normal life and molly lived for another 10 years and when she died no one mentioned the murders at all in in her obituary and 
first of all, that just surprised me in general that he would suddenly pull out of the movie and pull the stunt at, at the very end of this kind of epic, very consistently toned thing. But it very much underlines that he knows the limits of the way he told the story. Like he knows that he is following white people. He's telling a story that is going to be consumed mostly for white people and that the actual people who were harmed in this have been largely forgotten to history. And I think to me, that ending really underlines the feeling that the whole movie is wrestling with of why did no one care? Why did no one care? How come even when we try to tell this movie again, you are drawn to Leo DiCaprio because he's Leo DiCaprio. He's like this amazingly charismatic character who you want to find humanity and root for him in. And he takes over the movie by the end at the expense of the actual Osage people. And, um, I think it is a very interesting thing where Scorsese didn't veer into, he didn't try to tell the story from the Osage perspective. You can argue whether he should or not, but I think there's a good chance he would fuck it up if he tried. Uh, and so instead he told a movie from the perspective of the complicit white people and then did everything he could to underline, this is not the whole story. This is not the whole story. This is how it feels to ignore white supremacy and take part in it um and i don't know I, I thought that was really interesting and definitely ripples back through the whole movie and watching it a second time knowing that ending definitely did steer me more toward the banality of evil from the jump rather than the kind of roller coaster ride i was on the first time i watched it hmm. do, you, do you think that it's a little bit having your cake and eating it too like a, yeah for sure a lot because a lot of the dialogue around this film is did leo love his wife Mm. which is is not is not really the conversation we should probably be having about the film right mm. it's kind of like well yeah we get that everyone was super evil but like i mean he loved his wife so maybe he wasn't really all that bad like i i don't understand that sort of like why is that even a question does that i mean it, it's it, it's technically it was my question right which is like i don't yeah. understand whether he really understands what he's doing or, or you know, we can talk about the him drinking the poison himself, whether that was right. a test or a self-participation in what he's making her go through or, like, whatever. But, like, it's it just there, there's an aspect to it where it's, like, by pulling out, A, what it did is, first of all, I love radio dramas of that style. Mm -hmm. um, I, like, in any other film, it would be title cards, you know, black screen, white text that says this is this is what happened after this movie ended. And instead, we get this radio presentation. And I will be honest, by the time that scene was over, I totally missed where everybody ended up other than her dying of, mm -hmm. you know, eventually succumbing to diabetes. diabetes. Yeah. But besides that, I was kind of like, oh, oh, shit, I wasn't paying attention because I was watching this radio play play out and thinking about the stunt casting <laughs> in it and stuff like that. <laughs> And then by the time it was over, it was gone. It was too fast for me to like actual think think anything about it. But like hearing you, then you went and bought Lucky Strike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like, yeah, it just works. So there there was some aspect to it that like I, it, I mean, it, it literally takes us out of the film. Um, and it wasn't like it soured me or anything like that. It was just kind of like, oh, huh. 
that was kind of cool, but I don't know why I'm thinking about how cool that was because it's not cool for the story that I was just watching. It's just cool to do because it's flashy and I happen to like radio dramas. I forgot where I was going with that, but it, it's just it's just like an interesting thing that it was like, it, it, like to put that stamp on the end of the film and be like, hey, I know <laughs> what I'm doing. Let me just lean into it and then put my own little flourish on the end while telling you that like the two guys who were causing all this terror sort of just did whatever they wanted once they got out of jail. And then this one character, uh, you know, the one character whose family was taken from her, uh, eventually dies of diabetes. And then no one ever talks about this again until I make this movie. Like it it kind of, there was something, there's something weird about it that I'm only having a problem with now, (laughs) but wasn't having a problem in the moment. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get it. I I would say it is definitely having your cake and eating it too. I tend to be of the opinion that sometimes for morally complex things, having your cake and eating it too is the best way to handle a situation. Um, just, so like like he is definitely doing the thing. He's doing the thing and then commenting on his own limitations. So you could yeah. say it's the eight mile effect, right? Of like. I'm I'm going to say the negative criticism before you can throw it at me. Yeah. But I do think if you look at the bookends of the movie, it opens with all Osage people who are together and they are already mourning the impending, the coming of, you know, white assimilation and the loss of their culture. So they know that it's on the horizon, but it is opening with just them. And then these Osage people find oil and it is this celebration, right? Like this dance while while this thing that seemed so amazing at the start happened, which could have preserved them. And by the end of the movie, it is all white people just like telling this story in a way that is clearly not carrying the weight of the lives that were lost. Like it is just an entertaining story that they can share with each other. And I think the movie is like the slow dissolve from that one into the other, basically. And including the centering of native characters in the first half of the movie. And then by the end, you just get sucked up more and more into this like banal, simple, stupid, evil guy and his fucking plan to kill everyone so that more money can flow in his direction. And I, I very much think that is a choice and it isn't just like a last minute reversal to comment at the last second. It is like, underlining the thing that he was doing the whole time which is transitioning from their story into the story of the white world that forgets about them um you can argue whether that should be done i'm sure oppenheimer like discourse will probably happen for this movie too um but i i think that is scorsese's plan from the beginning not just like a last minute pull the rug out from under you and undo all the faults that he engaged in before yeah yeah and in terms of the did Ernest love his wife, did Leo love his wife? I don't think it's a problem that that is a big question that people feel in the movie. Because I, I don't think every movie needs to be a look at this atrocity. Isn't it horrible that this atrocity happened? There we go. That's the end of my comment. You know, you could say it about Oppenheimer, too. And I know you actually had problems with Oppenheimer, so maybe you're <laughs> consistent here. Um, you could very much say why in Oppenheimer... Are we thinking that much about what did Robert think or what did he feel about what he did? Like, we know what happened. What we ha- what happened is 
100,000 plus people were murdered in an instant because of this thing that he built. That should be the story, not the personal inner emotional turmoil of the guy that did it. But Nolan was trying to dissect that type of character and the mentality that would lead someone to perpetrate a grave evil knowingly and yet tell themselves that they are doing a good thing. And I think this movie is similar where the fact that Ernest, I don't know the real Ernest, probably it was just a piece of shit, you know, who knows? (laughs) This Ernest is portrayed, I would say unambiguously as loving his wife. Yeah. Like loving his wife to the end. And grasping for any lie he can take hold of that will make it okay what he is helping his uncle do, including the story his uncle says of we're just going to slow her down for a while. That's all. This thing that you're mixing, don't even worry about what you're mixing in with her insulin. All you're doing is slowing her down. She's too energetic right now. She's going to hurt herself more by being so energetic. She shouldn't be traveling right now. She shouldn't be doing all that. Just slow her down. And he knows, he knows enough to be scared, at least, like that personal test when he is finally coming to grips with what he's doing. But I think in the movie, it is unambiguous that he he does not believe himself to be actively hurting her, or he has chosen to believe a story where it is good that he's hurting her. And I think the fact that he does love her while also committing horrible, unspeakable things is like the point of the movie. And so I think it's a, and it makes sense. It's like a microcosm of the whole thing that Scorsese is exploring about how did all these people in the town manage to, quote, live among and care about the Osage people and also be completely fine that they were being murdered. Yeah. You know, it, it is like the, you know, I, I, I teased it a little bit earlier about saying, I don't know whether this film is phantom threading or whether yeah. it's mementoing specific, specifically Sammy Jenkins, like mm-hmm. there is an idea that like Molly, she, she's smart. She knows something's up from the beginning. She doesn't really trust him and thinks that he's not really interested in her. He's ju- he, she's just potentially interested in, uh, you know, or he's just potentially interested in her money. Um, but she still goes along with it anyways, because she also likes his company and thinks he's kind of charming and is like, yeah, he's probably a gold digger. Uh, but you know, it's probably going to be fine. I'll just engage in whatever I'm going to engage with him. And then they end up having a family and blah, blah, blah. They continue on forever. But at some point it becomes Mm -hmm. a thing where it's like, she knows she's getting sicker. She knows he's the one giving her the injection injections. I feel like she knows something's up. But she still proceeds. She she's never don't give me the injections, right? But she's obviously getting way sicker than she was when it was just pure diabetes that was affecting her. So it's kind of like I don't know whether this is a I want him to realize that I'm suffering and stop. Like I'm testing him. I really believe that he can make new memories and knows how many times he's injecting me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's, yeah. it, it, I don't know which it is. And I have a third answer, which okay. is going to be a spoiler for a movie. Very few people will have seen yet, uh, which is, I think it is anatomy of a falling. <laughs> okay. Um, so you have I to choose. Think, yeah. I think she, and again, I think her character is maybe the most interesting for this reason, but still an enigma. I think she 
wants or needs to live in a world where her husband loves her because she knows innately there's this spark like she feels what the audience feels like he does i can tell he does i know it i know there's something inside of him and so even though i suspect very deeply i need to believe <laughs> i need to believe that he is doing right by me and it is just him and he's just injecting me with the insulin and he's doing what i say and i think she knows that he probably isn't, but she has to choose to live as if he were because she already has this sort of fatalism of like everyone in her family is dying. This thing is coming. She's seen the owl already. And so I think her relationship with him is very interesting because it, it's kind of like the before she marries him and her sisters are like, he only wants you for your money. And she's like, I know. But look at him like he's cute. I like him. Yeah. Um, and I think even here, it's like. It's so obvious that the most likely scenario is Ernest's brother and uncle are responsible for the death of most of her family. And this thing that she's being injected with is not helping her. But look at him. I need him to be OK. Like, I kind of think that's what it is. Yeah. So it's a little bit of both, I guess. Uh, do 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 real real quick things on that subject. Uh, one is uh, the first time they bring out the insulin, I'm like, no fucking way! I let them inject me with anything. <laughs> like, right? She knows shit's going, and that's the funny thing too is all they had to do was not give her the insulin. She was already dying, mm -hmm. right? Like, it feels yeah. like they could have like avoided the whole thing by just not giving her the life-saving medicine instead of giving her life-saving medicine and then adding poison on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's just a quick a quick side thing. And then... Well, well, that's the, the question, too, and an ambiguity that I think the movie has, and then you can undo your side uh, and get back in the mean... The mean? <laughs> get back in the main point. Um, it isn't clear to me whether what she has been injected with at first is just insulin. Because even before they tell Leo to start mixing something else with it, she is getting worse. Unless it is only when uh, he took it home that they tell him to mix. And maybe they've no, always been mixing. They, they introduced the mixing when she was trying to get money to go up to... Because they, they, first, mm -hmm. try to, they first try to pay the other guy to go up to, to Washington um, or whatever and, and like lobby the government to come down and investigate the murders but then they kill the guy who they were trying to pay to go do that um so she's like well i'm gonna go up there and do it myself and that's when they go like please introduce this to her insulin so that way it'll like because i i kind of interpreted it as they really were trying see that, that's part of the problem of me not understanding how dumb he is for real because mm -hmm. there is some there there is a world in which I wanted to believe that even though they would be happy to kill Molly, they were like, she's, she's going to die anyways. Let my simple nephew have his wife. And just mm -hmm. like, I, it, it, there is a world in which I thought they, they, they literally did just want to slow her down. Like this will prevent mm -hmm. her from, from going off and doing that thing. It'll make her bedridden, but it'll just make her miserable. It won't necessarily kill her. Um, and maybe that's cause I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but like there is a world in which I wanted to believe that could have been it's it's almost like a yeah we're killing everyone else but let my simple nephew have his little home life because it's still going to end the way we want it to end anyways 
because she is legitimately sick and we don't have to like i don't think they gave her diabetes right she just had diabetes naturally (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah no for sure that my um yeah i guess i would it's funny i would need to re -re rewatch it (laughs) um my memory is that even before they start mixing the poison with the insulin, she at least is deteriorating in a way that is similar to her sister. And I think it is heavily implied in this movie that her sister was also being poisoned by Bill, who then felt guilty about it. And when he remarried, he kind of turned against the family. And so my question is, even before was the quote insulin that they were giving her, was that already like not actually insulin? Was that like they were they were intentionally not helping her um, or were they actually giving her the life saving medicine until she became a problem? And to me, in the movie, she is already getting worse. And then the moment she is being seen by another doctor, she's getting better. So I don't know. I would need to watch it again to see the timing of when poison explicitly plays into it, or if it's assumed that from the beginning there was something not right about it. Yeah, in my head, it was real insulin because it seems like it was it was delivered from somewhere else, and like they were just like, well, we can't not give it to her because the other doctor is going to check in with us and make sure that we're giving it. I don't know. It was something. Or, or it was such a new medicine that they didn't even know or believe that it would actually really work. They were just kind of like, I don't know, give it to her, we'll see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that was I don't know, it, it was sort of weird. And, and I think, too, that like part of why, going back to the, the whole thing I was trying to say about, uh, you know, not knowing how simple he really is, there is a version of this story where he is not fully aware of what his uncle is doing and is maybe suspicious but doesn't really know and the uncle keeps him at arm's length has him deliver messages that do result in people's death but he doesn't know when he's delivering the message you know like i i believe that he does know in most cases like we literally see scenes that we see again from a second angle and like he was there participating in a death but i think that like there is a way to tell the story where he is the bumbling fool who happens to participate in stuff without fully knowing the ramifications of what he's doing and then slowly starts to catch on and then has to decide whether he is able to go against his uncle. And that's not the story that this film is trying to tell. But there are things that are set up where it's like, hey, don't get drunk around the Osage because they're actually smarter mm. than you think. If you're if they're being quiet and you're talking, you're probably telling them too much. And like, there is stuff where like, it doesn't feel like he is a full participant. He just happens to know too much. And his uncle is trying to shut him up so he doesn't give away the goods on what his evil plan is. So it's like there, there's this film is doing a lot of complicated stuff that makes me makes me overthink every single interaction. Try to be like, well, what is he privy to? What is he not privy to? Is he fine killing other people to hide the other things his uncle did because he wants to protect his uncle because he thinks his uncle is technically a good man um but he mm-hmm. himself thinks that he's not killing the osage people he's just killing other white people who were going to tell on you know what i mean like there there is mm-hmm. just a lot of stuff where it's like i was trying to once again not root for dicaprio but it's like i because of the what his performance was i was not sure whether he's just an idiot who's oblivious or whether he is on par with his uncle. 
Well, he's certainly both, at least by the end, right? Like the killing of Bill and Rita, he is specifically responsible for that and the killing of uh, Henry, I think it is. Like in both of those cases, he is contacting the killer, telling them to do it and telling them how to do it. So I don't think there's any way where he could believe, I don't know what is going on exactly, or all I'm doing is protecting like the ramification. Now, of course, both of them there's some kind of argument that he's been told of why his uncle would get hurt if they didn't get killed, but he very much is killing Molly's family, you know, in in that process. And it it definitely seems that he was not aware that the house would be obliterated in the explosion. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it was going to be a small explosion that would take out certain people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there there is an aspect of like, he was honestly shocked by the fact that just like a little mini nuke went off in the street. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I think the enigma of him is very much the point, but I totally understand why it also makes it hard to know exactly what to think scene to scene. And and the one the one funny thing I was going to say earlier, uh, the second half to my thing was not another main point, but it was just some funny moment uh, there. So on either side of Jamie and I, there were um, there were some people that like took ma- m- multiple bathroom breaks because they were drinking a lot during the course. Mm-hmm. And even the two drunk guys to my left, uh, there was some scene later on with like, you know, so many people have died already at this point. And they, they just chuckled to each other. It was like, how is the brother still allowed to just walk around? <laughs> because, <laughs> like, because he is really bad at hiding the shit that he was doing. <laughs> like he's just definitely clearly guilty. And these two guys were like, I don't know how much they were following for the movie, but they definitely knew that guy shouldn't still be out of jail. Yeah. He also, if I'm remembering right, testified and had no jail time, which is crazy. Yeah. Cool. We we, we done, Steven? I think so. All right. Uh, then uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next review. Bye. Bye.